Welcome to the Old School Food Freedom Podcast, brought to you by your friends at Finding Balance. I'm your host, Chrissy Kirkman. On this show, we kick it as old school as it gets with how God created us to live free from dieting, food rules, and body shame. Ready to replace the old soundtrack of cultural lies with biblical truth? Let's start with this. You don't have to be trapped by food struggles. You were created to be free. God adores you and wants you to experience the fullness of life without body hatred or bondage to dieting. The time is now to take a step toward the life you were created for. We're so glad you're here with us today. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, Dr. Elisa Shanks, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So good to have you on. Before we get into today's topic, which is a good one, I want to introduce you to our listeners. Dr. Elisa Shanks is a clinical psychologist and Finding Balance board chair. She is passionate about university mental health, having worked at Biola University, the University of Colorado at Boulder, and now Colorado Christian University in Lakewood, where she is the director of the Larry Crabb Center for University Counseling. Dr. Shanks has focused her career around three passions, her faith, eating disorders, and university mental health services. She believes in full eating disorder recovery. Elisa has been married since 2000 and has two sons. That's me in a nutshell. Yeah. So, Elisa, okay, I want to know what old school item do you miss from back in the day? All right. If we're thinking for real school, I'm going to have to say my trapper keeper. Oh, that's with, what Constance said, too. <laughs> with like the unicorn on the cover. Yes. And for real, I don't have my Trapper Keeper, but I do. I have my unicorn folder from my eighth grade cooking class with some Ooh. of the recipes because I had such an outstanding home ec teacher that like my pie crust recipe recipe literally comes from my eighth grade cooking class. That, so, that so I cute? do have a unicorn folder in my kitchen where I keep my recipes from eighth grade. We might need a photo of that. I, I can include it in the that. show notes, right? <laughs> That's terrific. So um, Elisa means so much to me. She's been a great mentor to me and support and encouragement to me. Um, so I want to thank you right out of the gate for that. Yes. Um, and we talk Absolutely. every couple of weeks on the phone mm-hmm. and something we're all familiar with here that we just had to call out today is yes. diet culture. And yes. this, this, I love that you call it diet culture soup. Because we're we're marinating in it. Yes. And it's making us, it's, I don't know, Alisa, I'm just going to let you. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> the, if we think cooking, the nature of a marinade is that it infuses flavor, right? Unfortunately, we in Western culture, in American culture, we live in this diet culture. And so the soup that we are marinating in is a toxic soup with messages about size and shape, body image, about what, you know, is and is not okay to eat, what size it is and is not okay to be, how our bodies are supposed to look. And that that soup, that diet culture soup is something that pervades even, you know, even from childhood, even, you know, during pregnancy. This, these messages 
come through. I remember my kids are 12 and 16 now, but when I had my first son, I gained weight because pregnant people gain weight, most of them, barring medical concerns, right? Most of us should gain weight, but I was at Boulder Community Hospital and they were like, oh, you've gained a certain amount of weight. Would you like a dietitian referral? And I'm like, no, actually, I think I'm going to be okay. Like, I'm an eating disorder specialist. I got this. But it was, you know, for somebody who just had a baby, for the message to be, how are we going to help you get back to your pre-pregnancy size and shape? Because that's where you should be heading. That's an example of this toxic culture, this, this diet culture soup that I should be worried about my baby and his health and nursing, not about how quickly I'm going to get back to my pre-pregnancy size. Mm. And what kinds of, like, what were they not factoring in, in that situation? What were they not considering? Well, I think that the realities, I mean, all women's bodies are different, right? We come in a wide variety of shapes and sizes, And there was some like medically prescribed amount of weight that was like the permissible amount of weight to gain with a pregnancy. And I had gained more than that. Um, And so even that, that they're like, well, you're outside the norms. You're outside the parameters of what you should have done. And, you know, I, my child was nine pounds, 11 ounces at birth. So that's outside parameters too. So we're just going to go with that's kind of how things are that, you know, most human beings don't fall exactly in the expected space, whether that's just inhabiting our bodies or with pregnancy, those kinds of things. And, and hereditary, um, our genetics and our different people struggle with different types of medical conditions that make it hard to, gain weight, hard to mm-hmm. lose weight, Absolutely. and things like that. Yeah. And so when we have a culture that prescribes what beauty looks like, right? That that beauty fits in this narrow, narrow range of height and weight and hair color and eye color and being able-bodied. And, you know, even as far as things like gender and gender expression, like there are, we've come a long way and there's so far to go in terms of having that freedom and flexibility in a broader setting where people in all shapes and sizes have permission to embrace their bodies and love the body that they have. And I think that especially when it comes to things like eating disorders and whatnot, that it is this diet culture soup. It is the, it is these messages that fuel the eating disorder, whether it's anorexia or bulimia or binge eating, less so with some of the other diagnoses like avoidant restrictive food intake disorder or PICA. Those are less body image oriented, but our culture sends these clear, clear messages about what is and is not okay in terms of how you look. And it's a biased image and it's biased towards certain size and shape. It's biased towards being able-bodied, you know, and it's also biased towards a white presentation. So we have 
come a long way in my 48 years on this planet in terms of increased diversity awareness. You can now walk into a Target and there's a plus size mannequin. However, the plus size mannequins are only for the women, which was brought up to me when I was guest lecturing for a media class on men and women and size acceptance and body image president prejudice as promoted in the media. We talked about these plus size mannequins that are at Target And one of the male students brought up that there are no dad bod mannequins, right? There are only Mm. plus size mannequins for women. So we've come a really long way in terms of helping increase size acceptance and size diversity among women. But if you go to the men's department, the mannequins are all shredded with six or eight pack abs and giant biceps and whatnot. Mm. So, you know, this is an issue that crosses gender, it crosses race, it crosses all of the things. And of course, you know, different races can have different beauty ideals and different struggles when it comes to what is idealized and promoted. But in general, when we're thinking about kind of a white Western worldview, this overly thin size and shape is what is promoted. And that then fuels the idea, even in Christian cultures, that people who are in smaller bodies are more valued. And Chrissy, this is antithetical to Christ, right? This is antithetical to the message of the gospel where all are welcome and none are shamed. And so when we live in a culture that that screams fat prejudice and hurts people's souls as connected to their size and shape, then we are swimming in this diet culture soup and it is harming us. It's scary. I mean, this is the, this is what we live in. We were raised in it. Um, There are probably very few people that who will listen to this podcast who don't, who remember a time without it. Yeah. At this point. Right. Um, Do you know, do you know history of, of like kind of a diet little culture bit. history, I, that you I could would share have with to us? refer to. Yes, so one of the things I know is that we um, we honor scarcity, right? So so that which is difficult to attain is that which is desired, right? So um, you know, if you think back to, I'm going to go because I've got a pinpoint in my brain here. So I'm going French Revolution. Follow me there, um, right? Oh. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> talk about old school. Way back, right? <laughs> but what what are the sound bites we have from that time in history, right? We have a sound bite of French, like the commoners, the, the, the working class in France at that time. And they were starving and their children were starving and they were struggling. And this is where we have Marie Antoinette's quote, oh, let them eat cake, which is, the most insensitive, invalidating thing that you could say to people who are starving. And it also points to her ignorance and privilege that she has cake available to her. These people are literally dying. Mm -hmm. And in that era, the art, the images that were considered beautiful were pale and voluptuous because what was hard to attain 
But being pale, when you're a working class individual and you are out in the fields and you're working your fingers to the bone and starving because you don't have enough calories to replace your expenditure, you're working so hard, you are, you know, tanned, sunburned, wrinkled, and thin. And so the beauty ideals in that era were the exact opposite of what was available, right? So that is an example of the scarcity model. That which is difficult to attain is what we are all supposed to have. And so it does. It goes way back. I have, when I speak on this topic, I have some images from like the 1800s. And even some from like the 1950s, there's one from the 1800s, it's called Fatten You Foods. And it literally, it's tons of text because back then the ads were trying to like make arguments for their products. And so it was just, you know, more text than you would ever see in an ad in modern eras, right? But it would say, respectfully tell the ladies to get plump with Fatten You Foods. And... I'll have, I'll send you these. We'll see if we can link to them. But, and there was another one with like, a, a like maybe fifties, maybe early sixties where there's a, a young man in like a swimsuit and he says, well, you know, a skinny man hasn't a chance with women. I need to gain flesh. And so there, there used to be these products to help people. And there was another one that talks about like, build voluptuous curves. Men wouldn't look at me when I was a skinny girl, but now blah, blah, blah. And so it is like that was 50s, even maybe early 60s, where there was a lot of room for the the sort of voluptuous, sexy, robust female body. And then along came Twiggy, and she was a British model, um, I think 60s, maybe early 70s, but she, in, in modern standards, by all intents and purposes, had a very low body mass index. And that her showing up on the scene and the uniqueness of her as a stimulus, as an image, um, really changed things dramatically in the fashion industry. And they started requiring models to be at incredible levels of thinness and it's interesting because if you talk to like some of the, in some of the interviews and documentaries I've seen, these high fashion designers say, well, you know, the fabric is so expensive that if we had to make it for, if we had to make the item, the jacket, the dress for somebody in a larger body, it just would be a waste of money or something absurd. Um, and so there's some justification in the fashion industry for having these overly thin models that then became the new standard of beauty. Wow. It's, yes. It's harsh. And, and difficult, it's so harsh. right? This scarcity model means it's difficult to attain. And one of the little dirty secrets is that according to lore that modeling agencies would, you know, back in the day when people were running around shopping malls, that they would go and look for like tall, thin families genetically, and then catch a girl kind of in that prepubescent state where she doesn't have her full curves. She doesn't have her full hips and then kind of hold her in that space and make her a model of beauty. 
And so these were not like adult women in their women's bodies with their full maturity and expression of womanhood. These were people who maybe never entered a full woman's body. Um, And then that's what's being held up as the model for, for beauty and that we are all supposed to, you know, reach this prepubescent teen body even in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. So as you're speaking and you're you're describing this picture, I'm thinking it's not even attainable. Like it's not even mm-hmm. attainable for someone yeah. who's in an adult body, whatever age you are. That's it, it it's so it feels so far fetched and then I'm like, gosh, how how did we all buy in? Why do we keep buying in? Why it, It's not that simple. Yes. There's all kinds of deceit. Like we have an enemy yes. who knows exactly what he's doing. The devil knows. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't doing anything new. Absolutely. He's still tempting. He's still twisting. And one of the biggest lies that this diet culture soup promotes is the concept that for a woman... How you look is the very most important thing about you. How you look is the most important thing about you is the lie from the pit of hell that pervades this diet culture soup. And, you know, I wish I had my Bible sitting right here, but there are so many spaces in the word of God, right, that combat that. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? We are made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God means that we are relational, right? God is in unity. God is a trio, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in unity, in community. And so man and woman are made in God's image, in unity, in community. But this idea that we are constantly in competition with other women for status, for partners, for priority, for promotion, that, you know, the size and shape, the number in the back of our pants has some bearing on our worth or value in this world, that destroys hearts and souls and lives and it costs lives, right? Eating disorders are the number one most deadly mental health issue because they're the most physically based. And so this message of there's only one beauty ideal, there's only one acceptable size and shape really pervades our society and our culture. And Chrissy, I know from prior conversations you and I have had that there are also times where this message sneaks its way into the pulpit and is even expressed on Christian campuses and through various ministries, right? And I know this is coming out in the fall, but how many of us have been at a church service in January where they are getting on the cultural bandwagon of lose weight for Jesus, right? Oh, it's January. Everybody get your health in in shape and don't forget your body is a temple. Oh, let's talk about our bodies being a temple, please. With so much grace and love, because we know 
like, I just want to stop and say, I am, I, I am, I have done this in the past. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm guilty because I'm not putting a, slapping a label of no. guilt. You are, you are in freedom, my dear. I'm in freedom. Right. Um, and I don't feel shame, but in the past, so I'm a worship leader. And in the past, when I was like really in bondage to this, you know, to, to body image issues and I was hating and self-loathing, I would be on stage and, and making comments like, you know, don't forget after church is our, you know, our Heck yeah. typical Baptist potluck, right. you know, luncheon, um, yeah. hope you wore your buffet pants or something yes. like I would make jokes, um, to kind mm-hmm. of like, just cause I knew people would laugh and, and they would get it and, and relate to me, but it wasn't helpful. It didn't, it yeah. didn't enhance anything. We might've laughed, but it, it only made it worse. Right. It's a, it's a reliable punchline that whether it's a pastor or a worship leader or a speaker at a Christian conference, if you make some remark where you are disclosing your displeasure with your body, it's a point of connection, but it also can be a joke. And, um, that is that can also be incredibly harmful, right? So let's go to your body as a temple. So I don't know, you know, the context for you guys. I'm I think it's in Second Corinthians. I should have looked that up ahead of time, but it is the statement is it has to do with all other sins a person commits against their body are outside the body, right? So it it starts with flee sexual immorality. All other sins are outside the body. Sexual immorality is against the body. Don't you know your body is a temple? And that is the verse in brief, but in brief context. Unfortunately, um, our beloved pastors, speakers, teachers, mentors have taken that verse completely out of context and used it to promote guilt and shame and to promote the diet culture soup, to promote the idea that if you're outside the bell-shaped curve parameters of what is an acceptable size and shape for a body, that you are somehow outside of God's will and you should treat your temple better. The absurd irony is that they're essentially never talking about sexual immorality And instead, they're just promoting this toxic scarcity model that causes Christians to feel shame about their size and shape and believe that they must then go and engage in eating disordered behaviors or extreme dieting or extreme exercise in order to be honoring God. And our God does not require us to be a certain size and shape in order to be lovable. He loves us right where we are, and it doesn't take extreme behaviors to be worthy of his love. And it is a hard journey, right? We t- we can talk about there's a lot in the size acceptance movement. There's a lot in body positivity that's going on. But we have to, as men and women, stop and say, my body is beloved by God. 
exactly where it is today. And I don't have to change it to be worthy. I don't have to engage in extreme behaviors, whether that's restricting or binging or purging or exercising out the wazoo or those kinds of things. But it takes time because we're all marinated in this culture. It is so hard to break through this belief set that I would be more worthy or more valuable if I were smaller or for people that are in naturally small bodies, if they were bigger, right? Because there are people that run naturally thin and on the regular, they get accused of having eating disorders, whether they do or not. So there is, there's this full range of expression, right? We vary in terms of height and weight and eye color and hair color. And you guys, your weight is essentially as genetically determined as your hair color, your height, and your eye color. And that is good news and really freeing and maybe a little scary for some people. But we don't, like, we're all trying to conform to this impossible standard of beauty and thinness. And that is, God does not require that of us, right? So Micah 6, 8 says, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to have mercy and walk humbly with your God. And that has nothing to do, in fact, with size and shape. And essentially nothing in the Bible talks about your size and shape and whether that qualifies you or disqualifies you for ministry. What does Jesus say? What are we called to do? We are called to love God and love others. And and that is what we are called to do, not obsess about size and shape. And and I am not intending to shame anyone. I am an anti-shame crusader, if you get to know me. Um, So if you are struggling in this space, I am not speaking condemnation. Um, What I would hope is encouragement that you don't have to live in bondage to these cultural messages that are being boiled up, bubbled up from the pit of hell that tell you that you are not worthy based on some physical characteristic, right? The message is of hope and freedom and healing. And we also don't expect that after a few podcasts that you're walking in full freedom, right? Fully support that if you need therapeutic support, if you need a program, um, Finding Balance has an incredible program online, but there are also, if you need more than that, um, there are therapists, eating disorder specialists, eating disorder inpatient programs, intensive outpatient programs. There is help available. So please know that nothing that Chrissy and I say is said with any intention for shame. But the message is that we are surrounded by sharks in some ways, right? We are surrounded by this dangerous, dangerous message that can get caught in our heads and cause pain and suffering. And sometimes the message is being spoken from the front. And that has happened. And you and I talked about a specific incidence where I had to go and speak with a speaker um, because of things that were said 
that we're promoting cultural fat prejudice messages through a Christian lens. And I think our heart and our encouragement would be for this message to get out to worship leaders, pastors, preachers, speakers, and just hope that people would stop and think about how we don't always talk about bodies in the church, but when we make remarks about the buffet pants or about the New Year's weight loss resolutions, I've heard it on Christian radio. I've heard it in a wide variety of places where, you know, it's like, come on, everyone, let's lose weight for Jesus. Or a different message I've heard is let's sugar fast for Jesus. And there, there's nowhere in the Bible that we are called to fast from sugar. That is not a practice that is going to be honoring to God, right? And that said, we also know that some people are in a place where maybe their health is at risk, or maybe they just feel really incredibly miserable in their size and shape. And so we're not saying that all weight loss efforts are not okay. Um, If people want to, you know, try to move to a different size and shape within like what's going to be workable for their body and their genetics, that's okay. But we also want to caution people against engaging in eating disordered behaviors for the sake of weight loss, right? That, you know, thinking about how do you love your body, honor your body, nourish your body well, move your body for strength building, endurance building, stress relief, all those things versus approaching your workouts like you're going to beat your body into shape, right? That's a whole different way of showing up at the gym. And I would encourage people to not show up at the gym like that, but to have permission to say, you know what, I feel better when I go for a walk. Or I would like to see how many push-ups I can build to doing over time, right? Increasing strength, increasing endurance. In lieu of having that approach to exercise that is, you know, I will only be okay once I've achieved a six-pack, right? Those kinds of things. Because there's not a lot of grace in that. It's, it's very rigid and rules and structure. Like there's, it's great to have structure and boundaries and to find the balance. It always comes back to finding the balance. Yes. <laughs> always comes back to finding balance. Well, and looking at our heart, like why are, like if, if somebody wants to lose weight, is that okay? You said yes. And we have to look within internally. What is our motivation behind it? Who are we trying to please or why are we doing it? And knowing the balance. Mm-hmm. And also, what I, I, I'm a psychologist, so we have to caveat the things. But, right, if we say somebody wants to lose weight and that, that's okay, but their body mass index is already in a dangerous space, then no, that's not okay. Right? If, you, if your body mass index is very low and you still want to lose weight, then that's an eating disordered approach to life. And so... We want to be speaking to the large group and the masses, um, but also recognize that it is like talk with your physician, <laughs> make sure that you are in a place 
that that's okay. Because if your body mass is really on the low end and you hear us say, it's okay to lose weight, um, I don't want you to pass away because you heard the wrong message. So it is, it's, it's hard and it's, it's finding, again, it's finding balance. Like how do we promote size acceptance, body acceptance in this world that tells us that many, many bodies are not acceptable? And, and that is a major task, but I think that's where we turn to our faith. We turn to God and we acknowledge that he had the most compassion for people who were in hard situations or who were caught in sin, right? So the woman at the well He had a conversation with her. She had had a variety of partners, the Samaritan woman. And he, A, spoke with a Samaritan woman alone alone at the well. That was unusual. But B, he offered her living water, right? He offered her hope and freedom. If you think about the woman caught in adultery, there was grace and truth, Right? So he said, where are your accusers? Where are the people that would have stoned you to death in this very moment? And then he speaks truth and says, go and sin no more. Right? So he's holding the grace and the truth. And I think for us, that is such an important balance. Um, Again, finding balance, right? To think about the compassion that Jesus met hurting souls, right? There's another less well-known scene, a story in the Gospels where Jesus comes across a funeral and it's a widow and her only son. And what does he do? He raises that son from the dead because he knows that in that culture, in that era, Losing her son means not only that she's alone, but that she no longer has the capability, never did, to provide for herself, right? So here was a woman in grief and pain and sorrow and facing destitution, and Jesus raised her son, right? So he responds with compassion, with hope, with healing, with preservation and restoration of life. And I think that's where our hope is, right? That even in the midst of body hatred, even in the midst of a significant eating disorder, our God is the God of hope and of healing and of restoration. Alisa, that is that is a great way to end today's interview. This was so good. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to to be part of this. So in our show notes, you can find um, Elisa on LinkedIn. We will also have all kinds of resources through Finding Balance. She, uh, Elisa was talking about, you know, if you need a, a nutritionist, a dietitian, a counselor, a therapist, and you want some someone who's a Christian. We have a Christian treatment finder that's free. You go out there, you can search by um, your area, virtual services, and and look for someone who gets this and gets it from a Jesus perspective, a biblical Christ-centered perspective. Um, If you're not sure where you stand with your 
eating issues, you know, you struggle, but you're not really sure. Like, do I have an eating disorder or is it just whatever? We have a free self-test on our website as well that you can take just to kind of see where you are. And then all kinds of resources, like she mentioned our lasting freedom curriculum, um, a whole library full of videos, books, resources that you can check out. So we encourage you to go out there, take a look and see, um, what God might be speaking to you through this. And if you need someone to pray for you, we have a prayer team here at Finding Balance and we love to pray over those we serve. So just email us at prayer at findingbalance.com. And we would love to encourage you um, and pray for you in this journey because we understand, we, we get it, it's hard. So Elisa, okay, to wrap this thing up, Describe the last time you experienced true freedom. What did that yes. look like for you? Yeah. So for me, one of the things that I've always loved is dancing. And um, that's, I was, I did dance team in high school and um, that, and went to Baylor Sikkim Bears for my undergrad and used to go country dancing every Thursday night for like four years. That was amazing. So as I think back to times of freedom, we have a wide variety of retreats that we do at Colorado Christian. And last year on one of the retreats, I got to help lead the We Dance Revolution event. And literally one of the graduate assistants and I got up on stage in the middle of one of the songs and just followed the choreography and had the time of our lives. So as I think of like full freedom and just being completely in the moment, I would say that's one of the times that I can think of. That's amazing. I can't wait for us to get together um, soon in real life and just dance party. Flat out. Absolutely. Dance party. I love to dance. I love to roller skate. Let's do it all. Yes. It's so fun. Oh my gosh, I'm in. And I actually, I got to roller skate on a different retreat and that is so fun. It is. It's so fun. That's so funny. Well, I don't want this to end, but the time has come. I know. I am so thankful for you, Elisa. Thank you for being on today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, it's always a blessing getting to connect with you. And I love this chance to share this message of hope and freedom. Thank you for listening to the Old School Food Freedom Podcast. For over 20 years, Finding Balance has been helping people walk in freedom by discovering where Jesus fits into their struggles with food and body image. If you want more biblical truth and encouragement, head on over to FindingBalance.com and subscribe to our free daily vitamin devotional. While you're there, explore our Christ-centered, lasting freedom online course and small group tools. You can help keep this ministry going by donating today at FindingBalance.com. See you next time. The content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or prescribe a particular course of action. If you or someone you care about is battling an eating disorder or is experiencing unmanageable thoughts or feelings, please call 911 if in the U.S. or visit your nearest emergency room.